for me, it was the right fit you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Art Stapleton, and we are preparing for another big game, New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, and the word of the week is compartmentalize. Can the Giants rebound from a tie that felt like a loss to Washington after 70 minutes, a sour taste in their mouths, now they have to wait one week to face Washington, which is on a bye, and play the best team in the NFL, the 11-1 Eagles. A rival, but nonetheless, it's a tough spot for the Giants, and we'll get into it today. On today's show, Isaiah Hodgins. Some people see him as a newcomer here with the Giants. He's been here a month, and he's emerging as one of the most reliable Playmakers on offense caught a touchdown against Washington. He's got a really good story. I think you guys will enjoy it uh, personally, professionally, and there's a chance that he's a part of this team moving forward with the way he's performed. So we talked to Isaiah. I think you'll enjoy that interview. Got to sit down back in the field house today. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. And then Martin Frank, my guy from the USA Today Network. He's the Eagles and NFL writer for Delaware News Journal. We chatted up Giants-Eagles, Dable Sirianni. Interesting relationship there when they coached together in 2012 with the Kansas City Chiefs. So, Martin, tell you everything you need to know about the Eagles, and we'll uh, preview Sunday's game. And then the final drive, your questions, my answers. A lot of good ones this week, so I hope you enjoy it. But without any further ado, up first, Isaiah Hodgins. A month ago, he was in Buffalo on a Super Bowl contender. Gets a call after being waived, thinking he was going to end up on the Buffalo practice squad. And it was from the New York Giants. We'll get into it more with Isaiah. Here's that interview. All right, joining me now, Giants wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins. Now, you've been here for about a month. Mm-hmm. Does that still feel a little awkward to hear, mm-hmm. Giants wide receiver, since you've only been here a month? But how have you settled in yeah. uh, to your new home? Yeah, it, it is a, a little weird, you know. I feel like, I mean, I feel like I've been here for longer, you know, and then I look at it and it's only been a month, and, you know, uh, it's been. You know, a smooth transition, though. You know, the coaches and players have taken me in. Um, you know, I've moved in. I got my family up here and everything. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been uh, pretty easy and well going. Let's talk about your – we're going to talk about your journey here, your time in Buffalo. Also, mm-hmm. you've got a great family story that I love. I talked to you about it a little bit yesterday. Uh, but take me back to – I guess it was November 4th, right? It was right after the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Giants were on a bye week. Mm-hmm. Bills had to do some roster shuffling, and mm-hmm. my guess would be they were hoping to get you to the practice mm-hmm. squad. Yeah. yeah. And so take me through that series of events, and you you get the call that that's what they're going to do. Yeah. When did you find out that the Giants were actually putting in a claim for you? Yeah. So it was like right when 
like about like the waiver claim kind of like opened up like around like that like four o'clock time so you know like you said in Buffalo I, I started out you know on the practice squad um after having you know a pretty good preseason and training camp and stuff and thought I was going to get claimed after that cut ended up not and then you know with a couple guys going down I got brought up to the active so I was on the active for a solid like five-ish weeks or something like that in and Buffalo. you played two games right yeah, I mean yeah, you, you played, caught passes mm-hmm. it wasn't like you were just a guy who was there as like you know yeah. okay maybe we'll use you yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. you know yeah in case of emergency yeah yeah, yeah. so I mean I was there and then playing and then um, as you said you know with Trey White coming back and then there was a couple other things with you know safeties and you know um, you know shuffling and making roster moves so uh, they had let me go like right on that trade trade deadline and kind of let me know that you know they were hoping that I would kind of sneak through again and bring me back on practice squad and probably eventually bring me back up again to the active and you know I was you know kind of thinking that's just how it was going to play out again you know and just being patient with my time and then I was just at home, like, chilling with my family, and then my agent texted me out of nowhere and was like, bro, like, the Giants. And I was like, what? And then <laughs> out of nowhere, like, Dave's FaceTime me, Joe Sheen, everyone started calling me, and I'm like, oh, crap. And they're like, yo, we claimed you. Uh, we're on a bye this week. We need you on a flight tonight. Like, come up here, you know, see the facility, do your physicals, all that. And, like, next, like hours later, I was in Jersey, like, out here just, <laughs> yeah, like, moving everything and all that. So. It's funny because coming here and then it being on a bye and then you go right into the second half, we didn't really have a chance, or at least I didn't have the chance to kind of come over and meet you in the yeah, locker yeah. room. You know, training camp, we would have talked. For personal life, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you're married with a young son, right? Yeah. Isaiah yeah. Jr., yeah. is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He's what, one, like one and a half, He's two? Uh, two. He just he turned two in September, so like two okay. in a couple months. But, so you um, guys are you're building your family in Buffalo. Uh, you're a yeah. draft pick in Buffalo. Yeah. You're, you know, you're in a part of a big organization, you know, a good organization, moving in the right direction. Yeah. You get that, that text, whether it's a text or FaceTime, yeah, like yeah, you said, yeah. from Dave's. What is the family reaction like yeah. at that point? Because now you're basically on a plane, yeah. and it was it was a lot of uh, mixed emotions, you know. Like my my wife's been a, a huge supporter of me, you know, and always wanted what's best for my football career. So she's done a good job of kind of holding it down at home and helping, you know, with my son. And she was actually working in Buffalo, and she had like a whole like business out there. She had a teeth whitening business, so like wow. she literally had to like you know sell some of her stuff in her business to like these people that we knew out there and like had to just like kind of up and move and really do all like the hard busy work with like the moving and making sure everything's situated and but I mean so it was kind of hard to like you know like you said I was drafted there so we had so many friends and like built you know like kind of like a family there and everything but it was also like a good thing because you know I wanted to play and I wanted to be a part of something right now and to you know contribute and do all that so I mean that you know a better opportunity was here for me than there and you know my wife was excited for that so now granted it, it wasn't like you know, the Chargers reached out and claimed you and you didn't know anyone in the yeah, front office. Yeah. I mean, Joe Shane was heavily involved yeah, in your yeah. drafting yeah. and obviously you mentioned Dabes mm-hmm. and he was your offensive coordinator for mm-hmm. two years, your first two years yeah. in the league. Um, tell me your connection to Dabes a little bit and yeah. this offense. Did that accelerate your learning curve coming yeah. here and knowing that they were saying we need you, but uh-huh. you also, I would imagine you were able to kind of 
pull some notebooks out and yeah. be like, all right, here we go. Yeah, no, yeah, it was it was a, a very easy transition. You know, Dave's went right away, and when we were talking, he was like, you know, we simplified some stuff and we changed a little stuff here and there, but you know, like, and kind of gave me the rundown. But for the most part, as you said, like he was my offense coordinator for two years, so I was very familiar with the offense already and a lot of the concepts and schemes and everything. And you know, same thing with Joe Sheen. You know, he he actually used to come to some of my games like when I was in college. So like I, you know, go kind of way back with him, and you know, same with Dave. So um, you know, it was just an easy transition. I feel like I came in like day one, just like felt like I've been here already. Maybe that's why I feel like I've been here so long because it just feels like I'm already used to everything. So Does it help? When you were here for the bye week, were you here like in the facility? Were you able to come in and get mm-hmm. the playbook and get going yeah. right away? Yeah, I came here and then went back to Buffalo for just like a couple days just to grab all my stuff and, you know, moved back out here. Gotcha. So. so when you returned, you when the team returned, mm-hmm. you essentially had everything. You yeah. were already ready to go, yeah. Giants gear. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's been an interesting stretch here for the Giants. I mean, it, you, know, you go from a team that's viewed as a Super Bowl contender mm-hmm. to now a team that's fighting for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. What's that like? How do you mm-hmm. try to, you know, take me inside the locker room a little bit? Uh, you know, I, I would imagine it's, it's a challenge to kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, insert your personality into a team. You try to meet people. You're mm-hmm. there four months into their yeah. building of this team. How, yeah. how easy is that? How hard is that? Yeah. I mean, it, it is a little different because, you know, you can't just come into a new locker room and just start, you know, trying to yell at everyone and be like, this is how we do things here. Like, I just got here, you know. So, like, I feel like I'm just trying to take the approach of just, like, you know, just like hard working and like making plays when it comes my way and when my opportunity comes and kind of setting that standard and tone so other people kind of pick up off that. And, you know, I mean, there was a lot of coaches there in Buffalo, so they kind of know how like things were too and trying to bring that kind of same culture of like competitive, like hard working practices, like, you know, getting after it, starting there and getting better and building that culture. And, you know, that stuff's going to translate to games. So, so you went to Oregon State. Obviously, that's where mm-hmm. uh, where Joe Shane used to go to your games, mm-hmm. scouting you, yeah. getting, getting into the league. Um, you know, your family story is, is a great story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people realize, but your dad fullback for the greatest show on turf played I think seven or eight years in yeah. the NFL right yeah um, you know I laughed with you yesterday the idea of you know you were what one and two when he was winning the Super Bowl yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in St. Louis with yeah. the Rams but uh that's kind of part of your history now, your yeah, yeah, your yeah. legacy. Talk a little bit about that and your you know your father's impact on your game, but also yeah. any when's your first memories of yeah. his playing career in terms uh-huh. of you know how you looked up to that and kind of idolized yeah. that? It's, you know, I, I grew up in the football world, man. Like I grew up and just around a a whole lot of great players you know like when my dad you know he started off with the Rams and you know I don't really remember all that but it was always like a funny story he actually Dave was at the Patriots at the time and my dad had a touchdown against the Patriots so he had me send him a picture and was like tell Dave remember remember this play (laughs) and then Dave sent me back like the record or the score in the Super Bowl when the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl after and was like yeah but we won the Super Bowl so (laughs) it's kind of like a funny joke but you know after that uh, he went to the Cardinals so I remember a bunch of guys like Emmitt Smith and like the later of his career you know wow, uh, yeah I didn't realize yeah, that you like, caught that yeah part, like right? Larry Fitzgerald um you know like Isaac Bruce Kurt Warner all those guys um you know and then he played for the Jets for one year so you know um we were in uh you know New York for a little bit and you know got to experience some like city life when I was like 
you know, in between like 11, like 12-ish or something like that. So, um, you know, I, I remember a good amount of it, man. But, you know, he always, you know, gives me little cues and tips. And, man, this is how these wideouts practice. And this is what they used to do. And, like, always, you know, trying to talk me up before every game and motivate me. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool story. And you said you had, um, he had, through the years, I mean, you got to hang out with Larry Fitzgerald yeah. and Anquan Bolden yeah, yeah, and yeah, Kurt yeah. Warner, yeah, right? Yeah. Still, yeah. you've still been in contact with Kurt yeah. Warner a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah, he uh, he had re- reached out to me and my dad. I think like the day I got drafted, and was like, "Wow, this is so crazy!" Like I played with his dad. Like and now I'm <laughs> seeing him draft. I actually saw him at the combine when I went. So you know, it was it was cool just to you know chop it up with guys like that. So. Um, the one other story I wanted to ask you about before we kind of dig into you guys getting ready for the Eagles is that mm-hmm. I, I read that when. Your mom was having you when your parents were having you. Your dad asked the coach. He was playing at San Jose State, right, at the time? Uh, yeah, yeah. And asked for the day off of practice to be excused uh-huh. to go witness your birth, to be yeah. with your mom. Yeah. And that was the coach, Dave Baldwin, right? Yeah, yeah. So 20 years later. He was my uh, coach at Oregon State. Yeah. Dave Baldwin yeah. was your position coach yeah. at Oregon State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you guys ever talk about that? I yeah, mean, did he was, ever bring it up to you? It was crazy. Was like? like, he was the one who recruited me and, and offered me to Oregon State and, you know, did all that. And he just used to always, you know, uh, tell stories of like, oh, your dad in college. And he actually changed my dad's position. Like my dad was like a running back in college at the time and then changed his position to like DN slash fullback or something like that. So then like, you know, my dad was always like, you know, I hated you at the time for that. But, you know, it, it ended up paying off. And, you know, Baldwin was like, see, I got him to the NFL. Like I could, I could help you with that too. Like, so that was kind of like the recruiting pitch. But, you know, uh, it was funny, you know, good, good relationship with him. So. That's tremendous. Uh, so, take me into Sunday you score your first touchdown Tell me about the route because when I saw it initially, it was man that that was a nasty route. Mm-hmm. Uh, you turn it the DB inside out. What yeah. was it? What was the play? And what yeah. did you see on it? I was just um, a Colorado route, you know, and that's um, something that you know we used to work in Buffalo all the time, and I'm sure like a lot of you guys have seen Stephon Diggs run that you know all the time and kill the DBs on it, you know, whenever he wanted to. So you know, I've had like Dave's came up to me like after on the bench was like you know three years of running and you finally get to do it in the games because, you know, like all the time in Buffalo, it was Diggs running, you know, but I always had practice at it. So, you know, I got to really sit there and see the example and see what it was like and different looks, if it's off, if it's press, if it's, you know, inside release, outside release, but, you know, really selling that slant and like eyes and shoulders to the slant and then, you know, whipping back out. So, um, you know, me and DJ got a lot of reps on it during the week and we got some good timing down on it. So we felt confident that you know, when the opportunity presents itself that, you know, it's time to go call it. So. Did it feel the way you thought your first touchdown catch would feel in the stadium? It, it, it really did feel great. You know, um, I was, you know, a little bit mad about, you know, that, that Dallas one getting called back just because, you know, I felt like first touchdown being on Thanksgiving would have been a pretty cool uh, cool thing. But, you know, I, I feel like I couldn't ask for, you know, a better for, you know, first touchdown on, in the Giants stadium, you know, in, in New York, I mean, or I mean in Jersey. But, you know, just... You know, I feel like it was just like it was surreal, man. It was a blessing. Like it was, it wasn't just like a regular touchdown either. Like you know, as you said, like it was a route that I've been working forever. So like it kind of like meant a little bit more, and you know, one on one, and got to kind of display, you know, what I can do. So you know, I'm just thankful for the opportunity, and you know, just hoping to go back out there and do it again. Do you feel like you're hitting a groove right now in this offense? I mean, it seems like you know you're you know the numbers obviously at receiver. Guys have gotten hurt. Guys Mm -hmm. get traded. Yeah. uh, However it happens, but do you feel like you've kind of 
grabbed onto a role in this offense right now? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, I, I, I started out, you know, just uh, whatever they had me doing, whether it's blocking, you know, or just you know, running, running whatever route, you know, just doing it to the best of my ability. And I feel like I'm still taking a hold of that. And I feel like the coaches are, you know, able to uh, trust me with a little bit more now and trying to, um, you know, get me involved. And, you know, I'm just, you know, thankful for that. And I'm just trying to, you know, whatever route that it is, if it's more of those, if it's deep, short, if it's blocking, you know, just do what I can to help this team win, you know. So. Take me inside the the locker room, the, the huddles, the practice field, everything this week. You guys have the tie on, on Sunday. Nobody's mm-hmm. happy. Everybody's walking around. How do we feel? But now you've got the Eagles. Dave's just called them the best team in the league. Mm-hmm. And then a Sunday night game against Washington and mm-hmm. essentially a rematch. 70 minutes wasn't enough yeah, to yeah, determine. Yeah. Uh, take me the mood. Tell me the mood. You've been around a winning team. Mm-hmm. Uh, your first two years. What what does this feel like for you? And yeah. what, what should Giants fans expect from yeah. this team the next couple of weeks? I mean, you know, they should expect some dogfights, man. I mean, they're two division games again, man. And I think it's going to be great matchups. And, you know, um, you know, we don't plan on backing down from anybody. And, you know, the Eagles are a great team. You know, Commanders are a great team. But, you know, I mean, we're playing at home this week. And, you know, we get to go out there and display again and, you know, put full effort and energy out there and, you know, line up against a great opponent. And, you know, you, you couldn't ask for anything better. You know, like as a, a competitor, I feel like you should want to play against the best. You know, you should want to be against the top guys and, you know, really do that. And then, as you said, for the next week, you know, it's another rematch. So, I mean, I'm sure they got a sour taste in their mouth and, you know, we do too. And, you know, so... Um, you know, I just feel like it's two great opportunities to display, you know, who we are as a team. Isaiah Hodgins, one month a giant, but they always say once a giant, always, always a giant. giant. You're here. <laughs> You're making your home here in New Jersey. Thanks for joining me here. Best of luck the rest of the season. And, yes, you know, go get that playoff berth. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Special thanks to Isaiah for joining me today. He was getting ready. We were right up against it. He was heading in for some treatment uh, and get ready to, to go into meetings later on on Thursday afternoon. So much appreciated to him. Uh, he's caught at least two passes in every game that he's played as a giant. And I think if you see good hands, he's got good size. He obviously has a history with Joe Shane and Brian Dable. I could see him as a piece moving forward here that this team will keep him a part of this wide receiver room. Uh, and, what he showed last week against Washington, I think, will push him forward in this offense and give them somebody to consider a foundational piece. Not a superstar, but a foundational piece to build around uh, moving into 2023. Next up, it's Martin Frank, Mr. Delaware. And I always love catching up with my guy who covers the Eagles. We did an NFC East newsletter together. Uh, He'll be on again, hopefully, later this season when the Giants finish the season against the Eagles. But let's get right to Martin and talk about Eagles-Giants, part one of two. All right, joining me now, Martin Frank, my good buddy, USA Today Network. He's the Eagles writer and the NFL columnist for the Delaware News Journal. And... Martin gets to cover who Brian Dable has called the best team in the NFL, the 11-1 Philadelphia Eagles. 
Martin, thanks for joining me on All In. It's been a while and looking forward to getting a chance to see you twice over the next uh, month or so. How you doing, man? Yeah, I've been doing pretty good. Uh, you know, the Eagles never, never a dull moment. And, uh, you know, they've kind of... Uh, taken the NFL by storm so far so it's been kind of an interesting story to follow to say the least you know you look at, at Nick Sirianni and you know his first year you know there were ups and downs and there were times where he was you know even openly mocked by people in terms of you know I guess it was his flowers analogy that <laughs> that you know people people took uh, you know and ran with it and made fun of his uh i guess it was was it rock paper scissors that he talked about in the beginning when he first got there and... yep yep uh leading up to the draft he would play because all that all the interviews were done by zoom so he would play uh rock paper scissors with uh some of the guys they were looking at and that kind of got a few laughs obviously and then you mentioned the flower pot analogy which uh, he showed to the team when they were like two and five. They just got humiliated by the Raiders. Um, you know, people were wondering if they were in over their heads with him and defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon. And he brings out a picture of a flower pot with roots growing underneath the ground, telling telling the guys that like, yeah, you can't, you might not be able to see it with the results, but the roots are growing and we're getting better and sure enough they kind of turned it around from there they finished season seven and three made the playoffs and you know they've just built from there this year you know and uh, you and i have talked before we came on the podcast about uh the connection between nick sirianni and brian dable and dable is now in year one uh now he didn't face much of the uh i don't want to call it criticism but uh you know, just one of those things. Where cynicism, I guess, was more of the question early on with Sirianni. Uh, but look, the proof is in what Sirianni is building there. Like you said, eleven and one, unquestionably the best team in the AFC. And then it's probably them in Kansas City as far as the best team in the AFC with Buffalo uh, still having to kind of prove themselves. I, I would think this week against the Jets. But that relationship between Sirianni and Dable, and you and I talked about it, you know, they coached together in, I believe it was 2012, right? In, in Kansas City. And Sirianni was the offensive quality control coach, and Dable was the offensive coordinator, and actually interviewed him to be the, uh, was it the wide receivers coach that year? I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, because when he first started, he was... Uh, he was a wide receivers yeah I believe it was wide receivers coach yes you know so it was his first position coach in the NFL position coaching job in the NFL for Sirianni now they were only one year together but they've spent the last couple days this week kind of lauding each other about the respect they have for each other how much they learned uh, to you know learned about coaching and what was a difficult year for Kansas City that year Romeo Cornell was the coach um so it's kind of funny where, you know, a year later for Sirianni and he's at the top of the division, the top of the NFC in year two. And I wondered, had Dable reached out to Sirianni at all, you know, about 
being a first year head coach and learning kind of thing and the, the criticism is coming for Dable in the last couple of weeks obviously the Giants have won just once since the bye week what have you seen from Sirianni what what would you you mentioned the you know the the flower pot analogy and it's kind of funny because that picture has been around the Giants this week. I don't know if it's the exact picture, but it's been a picture of uh, a plant or a tree with roots under the ground. So I wonder if Dable and his coaching staff are trying to put out that same message to their team in year one that Sirianni did in year one. But year two, Sirianni, what are are your impressions and how how much credit does he deserve for where they are right now? Uh, I think he deserves a lot of the credit, uh, to be honest with you, because, you know, he's made adjustments. He's, you know, he's not the same guy he was last year. And and the thing that worked so well last year is he immediately got the respect to veteran guys like, you know, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Fletcher Cox, um, Brandon Graham, guys like that, because... You know, when you're a first-time head coach and you're, you know, you come off your first press conference and you look like you're overwhelmed and, you know, you're kind of stuttering a little bit, you don't know what to say in that first press conference, and to turn it around like he did and get the respect of those guys to, like, lead in all these new guys, you know, who came in. And you got to remember, too, like, when Sirianni was hired, like, a month later, they traded Carson Wentz. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden they're going with this guy, Jalen Hurts, who was the second-round pick in 2020. Um, not too many people knew much about him other than the last four games of the 20 season when he played for, you know, he played for Wentz. So there were so many things, different things going on. You're transitioning from a, from a franchise quarterback who just got a big contract to this guy who's a second round pick who wasn't even drafted to be like the quarterback in the future. Um, you got all these veterans who are like, man, you know, we're coming up. Our Super Bowl coach just got fired. We're getting towards the end of careers. Do we even want to keep doing this? And then you got, you know, he's playing rock, paper, scissors with uh, <laughs> draft picks. He's, he's um, you know, showing flower pot analogies. And the guy's bought into it. And, you know, Sirianni has, like, a really good way of connecting with people. And that's kind of made a big difference. Um, and one other thing that, that often gets overlooked is, you know, midway through that first year, he turned over the play calling duties to his uh, offensive coordinator Shane Steichen because he wanted to focus more on the rest of the team like you know Sirianni is obviously an offensive coach coming up both with the Chiefs and then later on with the Chargers and then you know he was Frank Reich's offensive coordinator for three years in Indianapolis before he got the Eagles job so you know he didn't really have much to do with the defense and stuff and he wanted to be more of like a CEO type of coach so you know he turned over play calling duties to Steichen and you know they became a run based offense like in the second half of last year and you know they both worked really hard um, with Jalen Hurts during the offseason making him a better passer they traded for A.J. Brown and, and it's just taken off this year and you know Sirianni deserves a lot of the credit because you know he wasn't one of those rigid we're going to do it this way, um, you know, it's my way or the highway type of thing. He consulted with the veterans, 
he turned over the play calling duties to Steichen. You know, he he adapted to the players that he had around him, and I think that's key for like a lot of NFL coaches. They come in and like, you know, this is the way we're going to do it, and they're not willing to change, and it just goes south. You lose the team, and then you know everything else kind of falls apart, and that didn't happen with the Eagles, obviously. Now, Giants fans don't want to hear it, but I think the those who are knowledgeable enough. Uh, have to give the Eagles credit where it's due. Uh, I think this is the best roster in the NFL, top to bottom, uh, position group by position group. If you're looking at these Eagles this year, what is their identity? Where Do they get their identity from a specific group? And if, if so, if you believe that, where would you think that, that comes from? Um, I would think a lot of that comes from the veteran guys on the team. I mean, guys like... You know, Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Graham, Fletcher Cox, you know, Darius Slay. I mean, these are guys who've been in the NFL for like 10 years or more. And, and, you know, they, well, most of them won a Super Bowl with the Eagles five years ago. And, you know, they set an example. Like, and the one thing the Eagles have done pretty well, too, is um, they've drafted guys, but not to play right away, but like to learn from those guys. So, for example, this past year, You know, they drafted uh, Jordan Davis in the first round, defensive tackle. Well, I mean, what better way to come into a new team and say having the pressure to produce right away, you can spend a year learning from Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave. And plus, they just brought in Domicon Sue and they brought in Linval Joseph. Um, So, I mean, you got four guys who've been in the league for 10 years, have all been like Pro Bowl type of guys. I mean, what better situation to come into than that? You know, it's the same thing at center. In the second round, they picked uh, Cam Jurgens. Well, I mean, you're learning from Jason Kelsey for a year, you know? I mean, yeah. how great is that? Um, and, and they've done that in the past past couple years as well. Um, so I think that whole kind of culture, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is something that they've done pretty well Um you know, Billy, obviously, you know, in some situations you have to draft a guy and you have to have him play like they did with Devontae Smith last year at wide receiver. Um, but, you know, he's been really good. I mean, you know, he set a franchise receiving record last year for rookies with like 916 yards. He's on pace for 1,000. You know, but they added A.J. Brown this year. So, you know, again, like another veteran type of guy who – you know, has produced and, and they've taken off. So I think that's kind of like the culture that they've built, the situation that they've built where like guys don't have to come in and feel the pressure to produce right away. You know, you can learn from veteran guys who've been around and kind of know the ropes and have played at a high level for so many years. So that's definitely helped them a lot. Now, when the Eagles came here last year, I think they're they're going to see a different quarterback in, in Jalen Hurts. But the the Giants, you know, did a pretty good job in putting Hurts in positions and making throws that he didn't necessarily want to make. Um, if you would have to point to the biggest difference in Hurts' game that has elevated him to really a legitimate MVP candidate this year, what would it be? I would think it's precisely what you just said. Like, he's able to make the throws that he wasn't making last year. Um, You know, a lot of teams last year, they would, you know, do everything to kind of keep him in the pocket because he wasn't a very good pocket passer. He wasn't throwing over the middle. And maybe that's because he didn't have the guys to throw to over the middle. I mean, that could be 
part of it too. And another thing was like a lot of teams would make him run to his left if he was going to throw, and he was a reluctant to throw when he was running to his left, and B, you know, he would often take off and run. I mean, he saw that especially in the playoff game against the uh, Buccaneers. Like, you know, they just kept him in the pocket pretty much all day, and when he did try to escape, they made him escape to his left. Well, he's gotten a lot better in both categories this year. I mean, you know, running to his left, he's thrown he's thrown over the middle, he's thrown when running to his left and everything like that. He's definitely not the same quarterback that the uh, Giants saw last year. And I think in that game, too, he, uh, he sprained his ankle, like, maybe in the second half or right before halftime. And that kind of effect, you know, took away his running ability, too. And, and it kind of probably affected him for the rest of the season as well. And obviously that hasn't been the issue this year. Like, he's run smart, smarter this year, maybe not as often or as for as many yards. But when the holes are there, he's taken advantage of it. And when they're not, he's able to complete passes. You know, obviously having A.J. Brown has been a huge, huge benefit to him. Um, and... Like, even lately, without Dallas Goddard at tight end, you know, he's still been able to uh, make the throws when necessary. He's just improved his passing ability tremendously from last year to this year. Let's talk about the Christmas gift that uh, the Giants ended up leaving under Howie Roseman's tree back in March, uh, and that's James Bradbury. Obviously, yeah. the Giants' new regime would would have loved to keep Bradbury here. They had to make some difficult decisions, in, in their words, in terms of the salary cap with what Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge left them with, and unfortunately, they had to give away a good player. Bradbury has come there and teamed with Darius Slay and been really outstanding in that secondary. What have you seen from Bradbury, and do you get a sense, you know, even though JB is a is a quiet guy, uh, I gotta I gotta imagine he's looking forward to getting out uh, at MetLife Stadium and kind of showing the Giants what they've been missing for the last uh, four months. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation because we, we talked to Bradbury yesterday in the locker room, and, and like you said, he's a very quiet guy. He won't, like, you know, spout off and say things like, yeah, I you know, I've had this state circle on my calendar, and, you know, I want revenge against the Giants. But you can, he didn't say anything like that, but you can tell that he was upset with the way everything went down last year. I mean... You know, it would have been one thing if the Giants had released him in March, you know, because that's when all the free agents are out there and teams have money to spend. And, you know, he probably could have gotten a pretty decent long-term contract. Um, but, you know, they kind of waited until May, late May. A lot of teams had already, you know, spent right up to their salary cap. They didn't have much money left if they did. So... You know, the Eagles had a little bit of money. They gave him a one-year type of prove-it deal. Um, it was less than, obviously, what he was making with the Giants. But, you know, he looked at the roster. He looked around, you know, the guys he'd be playing with. And, and he was intrigued by, you know, playing with Darius Slay. He was intrigued by Jonathan Gannon's system. Um, you know, and it's kind of worked out well for him. I mean, it's kind of an ideal system for him because... You know, he doesn't have to be the lockdown cornerback type of guy. Um, both he and Slay, you know, they play a lot of quarters. Um, 
and stuff like that. So, you know, zone coverages and stuff like that. So it's kind of played to his strengths, um, I think, personally. And, you know, he's having, he's having a great year. I mean, look at all the pro football focus grades and stuff like that. And he's like top five in pretty much all categories. Um, so it's been an ideal situation for him. Uh, he hasn't had to be the main guy, um, you know, locking down the other team's top receiver. You know, he pretty much stays on his side and whoever's lined up against him, that's who he covers. And he's done great with it. So he's been a really good addition. I mean, the problem is, you know, what happens after this year because he's going to hit free agency and he's not going to be taking a one-year prove-it type of deal. Yeah. So, you know, he's going to be out there and I'm not sure if the Eagles are going to break the bank to try to keep him with a long-term deal. So... Gotcha. You know. Well, Giants have some cap room next year. That would be something, yeah. huh? <laughs> um, yeah, let me ask you one more one more thing before I let you go. And I, listen, I really appreciate it. Uh, sure. All the stuff that you you always you know you always contribute. You and I have been going. You know, we're we're the mainstays now. We're we're keeping up with sure. the NFC East and trying to uh, keep our uh, our Giants Eagles rivalry going a little bit. Uh, let yeah. me ask you. I'm going to ask you an interest an interesting question. See if you can make a case, knowing the strengths and weaknesses of the Eagles, and clearly they're. Uh, much, much more strengths than weaknesses. But if you had to make a case for Giants fans as to why this team can compete with Philly and actually pull out a win on Sunday, what would you be looking at and saying, look, this is how this team can be attacked? I know people look at that Washington game, the one loss, and try to say, well, follow that blueprint. But I think the Eagles have kind of showed they recognize their own weaknesses and did what they did by bringing in Sue and Joseph. So make the case for a Giants fan, if you can. Why should they have op- optimism that they could actually compete with this team that right now seems to be running on all cylinders? Well, I would point to one uh, factor especially is uh, quarterback Daniel Jones. I mean, yes, the Eagles have had trouble, um, you know, in the running game, especially during the weeks that Davis is out. And, yes, they went out and addressed it by getting Sue and Linval Joseph and everything. But, you know, a quarterback who can run uh, the way Daniel Jones does, it's kind of like Jalen Hurts. I mean, the defense has to account for him, so that's – one less guy that you can devote to Saquon Barkley. Um, so, you know, I think if you look at the way the Eagles played offense the second half of last year, you know, emphasizing the running game with Hurts, Miles Sanders, and Jordan Howard, and guys like that, I mean, if the Giants went for a type of situation like that, you know, in this game coming up Sunday, I mean, it could work. At the very least, you know, if you control the ball, you keep the Eagles offense off the field and, and that gives you a chance. I mean, the Colts did a great job of that a couple of weeks ago. The Eagles had to drive down the last minute of the game basically to win by a point. Um, so, I mean, I think that would be a key for the Giants' success is to keep the Eagles offense off the field, to have Daniel Jones run the ball, um, not only with Barkley, but also by himself you know, to keep the defense guessing and everything. And, and I think that's that's a pretty good way that the Giants would at least have a chance to, uh, if not win the game, at least stay in the game. There you go, Giants fans. Martin Frank, 
uh, is predicting a Giants victory on Sunday for you. So. <laughs> uh, all, all, all jokes aside, I mean, uh, I'm sure it's fun. You know, this is the first time we have a team that, that I'm covering, the Giants. Really, 2016 was kind of a flash in the pan, but feels like the Giants are building something. I know from your perspective, having covered the Super Bowl champ five years ago, uh, it's got to be fun. You know, you, these are the games that you want to go cover and you want to have fun yeah. watching it. So it's going to be fun to see you uh see you up here and you know like i said i appreciate you joining me this week and we'll uh we'll talk soon make sure you check out all of martin's coverage uh and we will uh we will be together on sunday hopefully yeah look forward to it and then yeah and then in the new year like that season finale could mean pretty much everything for the giants and and it's great when like the giants and eagles have a bit of rivalry and stuff like they had in the past um you know it, it always makes for interesting games and stuff like that so I'm, I'm looking forward to it these will be like two really interesting games uh coming up between the eagles and the giants and obviously it's sandwiched for you guys with the commanders and everything like that so yeah um yeah there's december football you know, important games. That's what you want. And you've got the you've got the Christmas Eve game with with the Eagles and Cowboys. So we can't forget about that in the NFC East. And uh, like I joked to you, as I leave you, we'll see. Giants fans will be hoping that the second week of January, the Eagles are kind enough to re-sign Nate Sudfeld and have him finish out the year for Jalen Hurts and help the Giants make up for what happened back in 2020. Uh, so, you know, lay down a little bit. Let the Giants win that game and get into the playoffs, and and we'll see uh, we'll see how that goes. But, Martin, yeah. always so a pleasure. will probably be watching that thing. Why couldn't they have done that two years ago? Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it would have changed anything, but certainly uh, – uh, you know, Joe Judge is actually, out of any coach since Tom Coughlin, has actually uh, led the Giants uh, competitively against the Eagles. I mean, should have won that game down in Philly in, yeah. in 2020 when Evan Ingram dropped that ball. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, we'll see. Uh, Boston Scott going to somehow run for, you know, a buck 80 and three touchdowns on Sunday? Yeah, it always seems like he, he does well against the Giants. I don't know what it is. Maybe loves New Jersey. Yeah. Worth an anytime touchdown scorer on any of the uh, betting sites that you may be uh, frequenting, uh, Giants and, and Eagles fans. Hopefully people are listening. Martin, thanks. Always a pleasure. And have fun on Sunday, and we'll see you soon. All right. Take care, Art. Thanks for having me. Special thanks to Martin Frank of the Delaware News Journal. You can read his coverage of the Eagles and the NFL at DelawareOnline.com. Also, Martin will have some stuff on the two Delaware guys on the Giants, David Sills the fifth, and Gary Brightwell, so make sure you check that out. And Martin and I will be together at MetLife Stadium on Sunday for the Giants-Eagles clash. Now it's time to go to the fans. You, your questions, my answers... The final drive, as we hit up Twitter, hashtag all in art, and you send me what's on your mind, and I'll see if I can answer what's going on. All right, first up, McConkie's Towel wants to know who's more annoying, the all 22 Twitter GMs or the Twitter draft gurus. You know, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be overly negative. 
Uh, but I think, uh, you know what? I think it's probably the Twitter draft gurus because I do respect, you kind of get a sense of who actually watches a lot of games and who actually just follows draft lists and hops around the TV on a Saturday and sees a player and wants to all of a sudden pick where they're at. So I'd say the Twitter draft gurus are more annoying, uh, but I do think there are those who deserve some respect and put a lot of work in uh, that you wouldn't expect someone who is not in this line of work to do. So that would be my answer to uh, to McConkie's towel. Lenny Dela Cruz do you think the playoffs for the Giants will come down to their win or loss at, at the Commanders? Yes, I do. I think everything points to that game. Tiebreakers, the idea of taking a step ahead of your biggest competition. Uh, I think the Giants, to prove that they're a playoff team, what the math says and what the product says kind of intertwine that night at FedEx Field. So, yes, I believe if the Giants beat the Washington Commanders, that they will be in the playoffs. And if they lose to the Washington Commanders, then they are going to have to knock out someone else or hope someone else gets knocked out by winning a game that, on paper, will be one that they don't believe uh, the outside experts don't believe that they can win, whether it's at Minnesota or at Philly in Week 18. Obviously, there's the caveat of Philly potentially resting starters in that week if they have everything clinched at that point. But there's a lot of unknowns that go into that, including whether Philly would actually rest their starters knowing that they get a bye uh, the following week. So they may want to play a half. They may want to play through. We'll see what happens when we get to there. So, yeah, I think it's a win. Win and you're in, essentially, against Washington uh, in two weeks. Slim Lenny wants to know, what's the vibe in the locker room right now? Something seems off these past few weeks. Is that legit or more created by the fans? No, I think the vibe in the locker room is pretty good. Uh, I think... They were pretty disappointed and frustrated tying Washington, and they've really treated that as a loss. Uh, it definitely felt like they they believed they had that game won, and they were the reason why they did not win it. Uh, I think, at least I hope, if I'm this coaching staff, I hope there's a little apprehension this week uh, that the players don't want to be embarrassed. Because the Giants have not been embarrassed all season. Yes, the Detroit game got out of hand. And yes, they lost by double digits to Seattle. But those games, they were at least competitive to a point. If Philly is clicking on all cylinders, obviously they have an opportunity to embarrass the Giants. And I think they're counting on the leadership here. But I also know, as I said earlier compartmentalizing this between the short term of facing Philly and long term having Washington in two weeks really matters. Next question from Owen Bame. Uh, we constantly talk about getting DJ some offensive playmakers this offseason. Do you think that will be primarily through the draft or free agency? Who are some potential offensive weapons the Giants may target in the draft and in free agency? Uh, oh, and I, it's a little bit down the road. I haven't dug in in terms of the draft. 
Uh, and the free agency class is not great, at least off the top of, uh, you know, on the surface right now for guys that, that they may be looking at. So give me a couple weeks, come back with that once we get through the playoffs, and I'll try to give you a better situation. But one of the reasons why they had Odell Beckham Jr. in is it was an opportunity to kind of get a jump start on a potential free agent for next year. And if Odell was healthy uh, and ready to play, they might be able to to make a commitment for next year and have Odell in the fold. Obviously, we've seen a lot of debate over whether or not Odell is ready to play this year. So we'll just have to wait and see uh, where that comes about. So, Owen, give me a couple weeks and hit me back up with that question again. All right, next question, Sean Coughlin. Do you think we should keep Shep going into next season? My answer is yes, because of his personality and being a huge part of this team culture. Sean, I would have said before the season that Shep, likely would not be back, but given the injury, given the way he stayed committed to this team, uh, I think it's been a huge plus for Brian Dable uh, and Joe Shane to an extent. You know, when Shep is the longest tenure giant and he could have gone off and, you know, felt sorry for himself after the ACL and instead has been invested in this locker room there on game days, uh, on the sideline, I think the best opportunity would be for him, and I would think the Giants would offer it to him, is that he signs a a one-year deal next year at the veteran minimum and puts some incentives in it. He gets to stay here, uh, work with the same training staff, same rehab staff that knows him, uh, that he is comfortable with. He gets to stay in this area, and I think... Uh, that's kind of where it's going. So yes, I, I would I would think the Giants keep Sterling Shepard here, uh, but again, it would be for a minimum deal with incentives, uh, and go from there. Mister uh, Mister Hopium, is there a QB the Giants like in this upcoming draft? Do you see them potentially trading for a wide receiver since the draft class is thin? Uh, I do think that the chances are about equal that. They would trade for a wide receiver. We know Buffalo traded for Stephon Diggs. Joe Shane, Joe Shane was there with Brandon Bean. Um, you know, I don't know if the draft class is extremely thin with the wide receivers. I do know that the Wandell Robinson ACL injury hurts just for the simple fact that you don't know how quickly he's going to be back for next season, and that's somebody that they were counting on to be a big part of this offense. Uh, as far as a quarterback, the Giants... Like in this draft, I don't have that yet. Um, I, I don't think they'll be high enough to go after the C.J. Stroud uh, or something like that. You know, in terms of where, you know, who will be at the top of the draft, Bryce Young. Um, I wonder. There have been a lot of comparisons between the raw ability of Anthony Richardson at Florida to Josh Allen when he was coming out of Wyoming. Not Josh Allen currently, but obviously Richardson, if that's the case, might intrigue Brian Dable and Joe Shane to the point where they took a chance on Josh Allen. And I know it's hard to go back to that draft, but there were a lot of people who pointed out a lot of shortcomings for Josh Allen and uh, kind of forget that Josh Allen was not the quarterback he is today 
when he was at Wyoming. Ben wants me to put my GM hat on and would I trade Xavier McKinney next season to secure a true wide receiver one? Um, Look, I'd be open to it. uh, And it's not anything against Xavier McKinney. I think he is a big part of this team provided uh, he comes back from this hand injury. Uh, I don't think they've given up on him. Uh, I think Julian Love, who you mentioned, uh, will also be signed, but I think they're looking at two different deals. It's not a, um, it's not an either or situation as you've painted it out to be. Uh, but I think there's definitely an opportunity if there's a veteran on this team to look and see if they can get traded for to upgrade another position. Um, McKinney might draw that kind of deal. Um, but I don't know if he's viewed that way yet, especially with the way he got hurt. This is the time of year, and that's what's most frustrating about the McKinney injury to me. This is when he was going to be ascending. He was going to be the ascending player over the last month and a half of the season that helps this team uh, define itself and get into the postseason. So missing this time uh, certainly does not move his stock forward. Uh, Big Blue Brooklyn wants to know, the Giants are under $2 million in the cap. If they're in a pinch, how do you think they probably gain some cap space? Well, I don't think you're going to want to hear this, but I think this would probably be the way they would have to go, and that would be extending, or not extending, but restructuring Kenny Galladay's deal to add more dead money down the road. Uh, to get more cap space this season. Clearly, they don't want to do that with the way Kenny has contributed. But uh, if they were in a pinch, that might be the only spot that they could go uh, and create money for the remainder of the season. Uh, Brian wants to know, will Slayton be shut down by the defense? Almost surprised he hasn't been and impressed by it too. Uh, I think Slayton has become a good route runner. I think he's been more consistent with his hands. Obviously, that drop of the pass uh, degree of difficulty was not at a one. It certainly was probably about a six or a seven. Likely has to make that catch anyway. Um, but look, you're going against Darius Slay and James Bradbury this week. Uh, I think they're going to need big-time performances, not just from their players, but schematically from the coaches to kind of get some of these guys open uh, to get some consistently uh, solid play from the offense. Uh, Let's see. Optimistic and hopeful wants to know, will Adoree Jackson be back next week for the Washington game? I think there'll be a chance. Adore was out on the practice field today, not practicing, but kind of moving around. Uh, I think they will try to get as many hands on deck as possible for that Washington game. They know the deal. They're not going to hide from it. At least I don't think they should. Uh, so I think he's got a shot. Uh, NYG fan in, I assume, CLT is Charlotte. You always follow and ask questions. How do I approach crafting questions to coaches so that they can't answer formulaically? Good question. And just from a journalism standpoint, you just have to be prepared. I think that's the most important thing. 
you need to go into a situation and know um, that that is going to be the method. And you need to try to create questions that don't bring up yes, no answers. And if that question is a yes, is answered by yes or no, you need to have a follow up ready uh, in order to get to the topic that you want to get to. And a lot of that has to do with relationships, building the relationships with the person that you're talking to and asking of those questions. Uh, they feel more comfortable with what you're asking. Sometimes they will give you an answer that's beyond the yes or no. Uh, and that's kind of how I would say it. Um, let's see. Oh, we have time enough for one more. Wes Locke. Early favorite for the Good Guy Award. Uh, I think the early favorite, in my mind, is Julian Love. I think he has emerged as the voice in this locker room, is always available at his locker, has been engaging on conference calls and Zoom calls, which is not easy. Uh, and that's kind of who I would say. I think if he were not injured, I think Dory Jackson would have been a sleeper. He's been available all year. I think Jihad Ward is somebody who uh, is fun to talk to in the locker room. I think Saquon Barkley has talked and been available this year. Uh, and so off the top of my head, those would be the guys that uh, I would mention. Uh, Nick Gates is also somebody that is easy to talk to. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau has been great to talk to when he's been available. So th that would be kind of the, the line of, of guys that I'm considering, but I think Julian Love is certainly at the top. Uh, that about does it for this week's episode. Uh, special thanks to Isaiah Hodgins. Good luck to him on Sunday. Martin Frank, I will see him in the press box at MetLife Stadium. And you, the fans, thanks for always being all in. That's why we're all in on the New York Giants. We'll be back Sunday night, post-game podcast, we'll have all you need to know from Giants-Eagles and then get you ready for Sunday Night Football the following week, the biggest game the Giants will have played in a very long time against the Washington Redskins, not Redskins, Washington Commanders. Have a great night.